law of faith. And the reason we use that terminology is because the law of faith, that's the last four words of Romans 3.27. Romans 3.27, the law of faith. Law, we use that term just as we would use it for the law of gravity, for instance. A law is unchanging. It's a constant. It works for everybody. It works everywhere. It works all the time. So what we're talking about, and we've already talked about the law of love, the royal law, James 2.8. We've talked about the law of life, Romans chapter 8. And now we've gotten to the law of faith. And, of course, these laws work for everybody, all of you. They're not available to just a few, but they're available to all of us. They work everywhere, all the time, for everybody. So how does the law of faith operate? Well, as we said earlier, and actually we quoted two of our key scriptures for the study today, Mark eleven twenty two and 23, from the greatest expert on faith that there is, Jesus he said, have the faith of God, for truly I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. And so he mentioned saying three times, believing once. So when the expert uses that kind of terminology, I want to learn. Evidently, this saying is really, really important. So the law of faith is simply believing in our heart what God has said. And, you see, you, you haven't completed the law. It's not going to function properly, the law of faith, unless you do all of it. So it is believing in our heart what God has said, and then it is confessing what He has said, with our voice. So God initiates faith by sending His Word to us, Isaiah 55, 11. Then I take that Word and I choose to believe it because believing is a choice. I choose to believe what He said enough that I will say it myself. Critics of the faith message, quote-unquote, many times try to portray us as teaching that we are backing God into a corner, that we are telling God what to do, that we are uh, somehow violating His sovereignty because we think we're, we can order God around. Well, of course, nobody that I know of that's a credible minister teaches that at all. When I declare, for instance, that with His stripes I'm healed... 1 Peter 2.24, I'm not making that up. That's not my idea. That was God's idea. He said that 2,000 years ago. So you see, really what we're doing is we're taking the word that God sent to us and we're believing it enough that we speak it. Now, the devil doesn't care what you believe as long as you stay quiet. You can believe completely right, correct, about any Bible subject you want to think about. As long as you don't say anything or in any way act on it, then the devil is no threat. I mean, he's not threatened. 
But the moment you begin to declare what God has said is the moment that your world begins to change. And that's when opposition will come from the enemy because we know from Jesus' teaching in Mark 4 that the devil comes immediately to steal the word when it is sown into our hearts. And so I can promise you that what you're going to hear today and what you heard a couple of weeks ago in the last installment of this, I can promise you the devil's going to want to steal it away from you because this is one thing for sure he does not want you to do because your words will either justify you or condemn you. Again, that's quoting from Jesus in the 12th chapter of Matthew. Your words have the power for death or life, Proverbs 18.21. And so therefore it is vital and extremely important. <coughs> Excuse me. I'm sorry. It is extremely important that we understand how faith works. And so once again, the law of faith is believing in our heart that which God has said, confessing it with our mouth as truth, with our voice, and then it's God's job to bring it to pass. Jeremiah 1.12, he watches over his word to perform it. Isaiah 55.11, when his word is returned, it will not return, he said, void. So always God is listening for his word in the earth. He's not impressed with the news media. He's not impressed with the entertainment world. He's not impressed with the speeches on the floor of the Congress. None of that anywhere, the United Nations or any of that mess. That's not what he's interested in. But when he hears his word, you've got his attention. And your voice is as unique as your fingerprint. Nobody else has your voice. And it's really true that when you speak God's word... You have his complete attention. You might say, well, doesn't he give his attention to everybody else? Yeah, but somehow or another, he's able to give it all the same to everybody. I don't know how he does it, but he does. And so, when we look at this law of faith, if it's that important, and it is, I want to know, how does it work? Wouldn't you like to know how it would work? If faith can move mountains... If faith can bring healing to the sick, if faith can bring salvation to your life, if you're born again, you know you've already used the law of faith. If it could bring the greatest change of your entire life to you, then I think that we need to know how this thing works. I want it to work in my finances. I want it to work in my health. I want it to work in my marriage. I want it to work in everything that I set my hand to. Well, we're blessed because in Romans 4... You know, we were looking at Romans 3.27, but over in Romans 4, we have what's called in verse 12, the steps of that faith. And if you look up that word, actually it's like uh, it has to do with a track. In other words, a pathway. The steps of the faith of Abraham. Why is that so significant? Because Abraham is the spiritual father of everyone who believes. We know God is our ultimate heavenly father. But in, in Galatians 3.29, Paul writes and says that if you be Christ's, in other words, if you're born again, if you're a Christian, then are you Abraham's seed or child and heirs according to the promise. He is the father of the faithful. He is the, the epitome of walking out the faith life, of receiving a promise from God, and then walking it out. And how he came to the place at age 100 
and his wife at age 90 to them being able to hold an infant son is nothing short of a miracle. It was something that Abraham could not do on his own. It wasn't something that he could push and pull levers or push buttons and make happen. He needed a miracle, and he got one with faith. Now, I don't know. You might need a miracle today. You might have a diagnosis that is technically incurable, maybe terminal. You might have a situation in your life that absolutely looks hopeless and impossible. You're ripe, if you will, for a miracle. You're just getting into the place where God can turn your life around and He gets all the glory for it. And so when the term is used, steps of that faith of our father Abraham, what are the steps? Now, of course, I'm, I'm skipping over a little bit because we've already done one session on this. We'll skip now down to verse 17 and look at the first step. We've already looked at it some, but we didn't quite finish it. The first step of faith that Abraham took was to do what God does. Now, sometimes people think that's very arrogant, that that's a little too bold, that that's presumptuous to think that we could do something like God does, but that's exactly what Abraham did, and that's held up for us here as a step of faith that you and I can do this thing that God does. After all, we're told, be you followers of me, Jesus said. Amen? Uh, followers of God as dear children. And so uh, that's what Paul told us. So verse 17 says, As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations. And of course, if you study that carefully, you know that this has to do with the fact that God actually changed Abraham's name. He was Abram. And God changed his name to Abraham. Abraham. And uh, he changed his name to reflect what God called him. Now, when the name change came, and the name means father of a multitude or father of many nations, when that change came, Abraham did not have the promised son. And so Abraham, in actually calling himself who God called him, letting people know, I am no longer Abram, but I'm Abraham, in doing that, he was doing what God did. He was like God, calling those things which be not as though they were. So there was a period of time that he was calling himself the father of a multitude when his wife had never had one child. And, uh, you know, when people are into their 90s, and they're talking about they're going to have a baby. Most people don't believe that. Right? We find that uh, a physical impossibility. As a matter of fact, the scriptures here teach us that it was physically impossible at that point. Without a touch of God, without the move of God, there were, there were not going to be any promised seed. Sarah had never been able to have a child. Now she's 90, he's 100 when the child is born. This is a total miracle. And I just want to point this out. Uh, it's just an interesting little side note to point out. But uh, God's work was so good that when years later, 
when Abraham was about 120 or 25 or something like that, Sarah died. Do you know that Abraham remarried and had five more sons? You remember the story of Moses on the backside of the desert? And you remember that he went to a man named Jethro, who became his father-in-law, who was the priest of Midian? Midian was one of those five sons uh, that Abraham had after uh, he was beyond 100 years old. And so I just think it's good news that God doesn't do anything halfway. And I don't know what you're thinking about, but I just can say this general statement. You're not too old. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> All right. I got one happy customer here. Praise the Lord. Amen. So Abraham dared to do what God did. Now, why did he do that? Because this is what God told him to do. So let's just use a, a, a present day example. Let's say that you are believing God in an area of material things. Maybe you have piles of bills. Maybe you seem to always have more month than you have money. And you're always borrowing from Peter to pay Paul. You're always choosing which bill to pay or all of the, that kind of thing. I, I don't know. Uh, that's just an example. I hope nobody here is having to live that way. But I know that that does happen to people. And you do too. And so let's just say that's going on. And then you get a hold of the word. You start digging in the word. You say, Lord, I don't want to live this way. And I know that I may need to make some changes and choices. I may need to alter my spending. I may need to deal with some issues. Maybe my giving isn't where it's supposed to be. There could be a number of things that I could change. But also, if I'm willing to make those adjustments and I'm willing to be obedient to God, then what does the word say is the will of God in this matter. Well, I could go to a scripture like Philippians chapter 4 and verse 19 that says, But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. I could go to 3 John verse 2, Beloved, I pray above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health even as thy soul prospereth. I could go to Luke, uh, um, the book of Luke 6 verse 38. Given it shall be given unto you again, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. I could go to 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9 and find out about generous giving. And so when I look at all those verses, and you'll notice what I just did. I was referring to verses in the Bible. When I do that, I'm finding my Abraham word. I'm finding out what God is saying to me. I'm finding out what he is saying. And when I find out what he's saying, then according to this particular first step, by the way, of, of the steps of faith, then what I begin to do is I begin to say what God has already said. That's how simple it is. I begin to say this. Now, the first time you say it, it may not feel different. It may not look different. This applies in every area. We might be talking, some people may need this in the area of Divine healing. There might be a lot of other things. Mental peace. I don't know. But the point is, find scriptures that deal with the issue you're dealing with. Find out what God has said to you about your situation. Look at your neighbor and tell him, find out what God said. How are you going to do that? Well, you're going to open your Bible. You're going to open your Bible. 
You might want to get a notepad and you might want to write them down or you might want to get them, put them in your phone, store them, however, whatever you need to do. But you're going to find out what God has said about you and then you're going to simply say what he said. Now, if you're broke confessing financial scriptures, then what are you doing? You are calling those things which be not as though they were. If you are in pain or you are having symptoms of some kind of sickness in your body and you're quoting healing scriptures, then what are you doing? You're calling those things which be not as though they were. You're doing exactly what Abraham did and it got him a miracle that is just absolutely astounding. And so I'm telling you that God did not and does not love Abraham more than he loves you. And the word to Abraham was not a different or better word than the word of God to you. God wants you to have what he says is yours. Amen. Say this with me right now. Say, I am what the word says I am. I am who the word says I am. I have what the word says I have. The God of the word lives in me. And greater is he that's in me than he that is in the world. Now, sometimes people think, well, it just can't be that easy. Surely I've got to do something else. (coughs) Surely I've got to (coughs) do some kind of penance. Surely I need to do something to earn this. Well, let me tell you, you'll never earn this. As a matter of fact, if you read, and we covered this last time, but if you read the prior verses to, to verse 17, you'll find that actually... God put these blessings on the basis of grace through faith. Grace through faith. So if there's no faith, you're not receiving. And if you do exercise faith, you are a receiver. Circumstances have to change. Situations have to change. And that's where your voice is so important. You see, I can't do this for you. And you can't do this for me. And I have found, I'm repeating myself again here, but it's so important. I've found over decades of ministry that this is one of the most difficult things to get people to do. For some reason, this just seems to be so hard for people to do. Really, it isn't hard. It isn't hard physically. Uh, You know, it's really not hard to understand. It's not, you know, way deep so that... You know, it takes you two years to figure it out. It's very simple. As a matter of fact, I wonder if the simplicity is what keeps some people from doing it because they're thinking it's got to be harder than this. There's got to be more to it than this. And there are steps of faith to add to this. But this first one is essential because your life will always rise or fall to the level of your confession. Think about it. People that you know that always are talking about their fears, always talking about their symptoms, always talking about their lack, always talking about how their relationships are all messed up. Have you noticed that what they talk about is what they have? And the more they talk about it, the more they reinforce that very thing. And they're in a cycle, a circle. You know, I think about, you know, you've seen a bathtub and, uh, you know, there's bath water in it and you pull the plug on it and after a while you see this little 
turning of the water, you know, and it's going out. I think a lot of people, they, they're kind of living in that swirly thing there, whatever that is. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it's like, like they just keep going around and around. And then the, the more they talk, the worse it gets, the deeper they go until they end up in the septic tank. That's a bad place to be. <laughs> just a bad place to be. Amen. Uh, you, you don't want to declare things that are as they are. You want to declare those things that are not as though they were. Now, I know that there are people that you probably don't want to necessarily go and do this in front of them because they're going to think you're a nut. They're going to maybe seek to have you committed or whatever. You know, they're going to... So I'm, I'm saying that this is something you do primarily, not only, but primarily you're going to do this in your private time. Because listen, if you can't do this in a room by yourself, <laughs> you're not going to do it around anybody else. Amen. You know, and, and, and we hear things in the world. It's not that we go around rebuking everybody we know and everybody we hear. It's not that you're in the checkout line at Kroger and somebody makes this negative statement and then you've got to come in and correct them and tell them, no, you know, don't say that. I mean, you know, that, that's not what I'm encouraging you to do. But I am encouraging you to maintain your confession. Sometimes people th say things and I just don't say anything. And I don't know, they may think that I'm rude, they may think I'm stuck up, they may think, uh, you know, I don't know. But there are just some things that I am not going to agree with. Nobody here hears me talking to you about what I'm afraid of. Not afraid, but afraid. I'm afraid. <laughs> I don't do that. Now, I used to, years and years ago, but I eliminated that from my vocabulary. I eliminated poverty from my vocabulary. There have been times in my life when I absolutely did not know how the need was going to be met. I'm not talking about some luxury thing. I'm talking about the, the bare need. I didn't know how in the world this was ever going to work. But I knew one thing, that if I didn't want to go down the swirly tube, <laughs> I couldn't go there with my conversations. And I also could not go there, you know, like with my wife. See, some people, they think, well, if I'm at church, i got to kind of, you know, walk the chalk, you know. I need to talk right. But then when they get home, or they get in the car, or they get around somebody else, and they start taking them down this road, this negative road of what we're afraid of and what, what, how bad everything is. You know, look, we are smart people. Look at your neighbor and say, he's talking about you for sure. We're smart people. Amen. We're not dummies. We're not stupid. We know that our nation's in a mess. We know that we've got political chaos. We know that we don't trust hardly anybody in the public sphere to tell us the truth. Whether they're media, political, or whatever. We know all of this. We know that, that uh, changes are occurring in our educational systems and in, even in corporate structures and in media that are just uh, not godly, not biblical, not right. We know that. But you're never going to change that mess by griping about the mess. Somebody's got to believe God and declare what God has said. And that means that if God gets involved, He can remove people. I'm not saying kill them. I mean, 
I mean, you know, as far as I'm concerned, he just has to do what he has to do. I mean, he's God. But, uh, you know, uh, I'm not advocating, you know, just kill him. I, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying God can remove people. Because the problem with the leadership in our nation today is most of them have so many skeletons in the closet, all we have to do is have the closet door opened a little to get rid of somebody. You didn't know you was coming for this today, did you? I didn't either. But, uh, but the truth is, you can stand around and gripe about all that all day long. But you're never going to change it that way. The way you change it is by prayer, supplication, intercession, giving of thanks for kings and all that are in authority and all that all men may see the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You bring light by being the light. Living as a light. Can you say amen? amen. So, that's part of calling things which be not as though they were calling things which be not as though they were. Now, there's another step that I want to talk about today, and I'm going to have to close. So we're not going to cover all of our steps today. We'll cover more of them next week. But I want to go to step two, and it's found in verse number 18. It's, it says here, who against hope believed in hope. This is talking about Abraham, his steps of faith. This is step two, hope, supernatural hope, believing in supernatural hope. But it's interesting what he says, who against hope believed in hope. So he's, he, is a, <coughs> he is pitting two kinds of hope. This always seems to help if I just get the bottle and lay it up here. <laughs> but he's pitting these two kinds of hope. So what, what's going on? Well, obviously, there's natural hope of which there is none. For this situation... No hope. I mean, people, uh, Abraham was, I'm not trying to be crude, but he was physically impotent. Sarah had never been able to have a child. There's no hope for this to happen. But against that hope, he believed in hope. So there must be a higher level of hope than natural. There is a supernatural hope. Where does that come from? The promises of God. The promises of God. Notice what it says. Who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken. In other words, according to the promise. And then he's quoting what God said. So shall thy seed be. Mark 10, 27 says the things impossible with men are possible with God. That's where Abraham was. So let me tell you today, and I'm not just trying to do some preacher's double talk here. I'm really telling you something you need to know. Even if you are here and all hope is gone in your situation, it's not over. It's not over. Hallelujah. Glory to God. It's still, God is still God. He's still on the throne. And the word is still true. Have you found the scriptures that promise you what, what you're needing? If you do, you've got the word of God. And if you have, then you've got the basis for supernatural hope. Hallelujah. I'm not hopeless. I'm not helpless. I have God. I have his word. Hallelujah. 
Now we're going to Hebrews chapter 6 to close today. Hebrews chapter 6 to close. And those of you that are new here, when you hear me say closing, just disregard that. It means nothing really, but it sounds good. (laughs) Hebrews chapter 6, verse number 9 says, Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 19, I'm sorry says, which hope, well, we've got to go to verse 18. <laughs> got to go to verse 18. Well, we've got to go to verse 17. I'm sorry. We really need to do that. Wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath. So we're talking about the solemn oath of God. You do know your Bible is a blood-sworn covenant. No word of it is void of power, and none of it can ever fail. So that's what we deal with. When you open your Bible, that's what you're dealing with. This is where we get our hope. That by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, aren't you glad that's true? We might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. Now, Abraham did this. Lay hold upon the hope set before us. In other words, he laid hold of the promise of God. And notice what verse 19 says. And this is where uh, we, want to, to, we want to get this out before we go today. Because this is so important to us. It says, which hope we have. See, if you've got the word, you have this hope. Which hope we have as a what? An anchor of the soul both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil. Now we understand man is a spirit being created in the image and likeness of God. We understand that man is a trinity, like God is a trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Man is a trinity, spirit, soul, and body. The body is the house we live in. That's what we see here today. I see your house, but I don't see you. Because you, the real you, the spiritual man on the inside, I can't see him. I can't hear him when you talk. Because Jesus taught us from the abundance of your heart or your spirit, your mouth speaks. But I don't actually physically see your spirit. I just see the house you live in. So in between body and spirit, there is this second part of us that's called the soul. And the soul is the area that involves the mind, the will, the emotions, the intellectual part of man, our thought processes, our, quote, feelings and emotions. And this verse says that supernatural hope deals with this realm. You see, faith's in your heart. The change that Abraham needed to see, and perhaps some of you today need to see, is a change in your physical body. But in that process of those steps of faith, that track that was going to get him to the fulfillment of the promises of God, he was having to deal with his mind, just like we do. His thoughts, those mental images and mental pictures had to be dealt with. And so, this supernatural hope is an anchor for the soul. Now, we know what an anchor is, don't you, everybody? You, you know that an anchor is dropped from a ship to hold it in place. 
Water is an unstable medium. I mean, you can have a, a ship that weighs thousands of tons, and if it's not anchored properly, it, the water will move it. It will not stay put. So we have these anchors that go through the unstable water and take hold of the bottom, which is stable. Now here, this is the illustration that, that the writer here uses about hope. Only in our case, I want you to think about like this. Instead of our hope going down to grab hold of something solid, our anchor is going up. As a matter of fact, so far that it says that it entereth into that within the veil. Now, if you've if you read the book of Hebrews, you know what he's talking about here. He's talking about the very presence of Almighty God. He's talking about the throne room. He's talking about the holiest of holies in heaven. So my hope goes through the unstable world around me, through all the chatter, all the chit-chat, all the talking, all the negativism, all the unbelief, all the fear, all the sarcasm, all the mess that's in this world. My hope goes all the way into the throne room of God, and that's where I'm hooked in. So when I declare with his stripes I'm healed, it's because I'm hooked into heaven that I know I'm healed. I'm not moved by what I see. I'm not moved by what I feel. I'm not moved by the report. I'm not moved by the lawyer's letter. I'm not moved by the judge's decree. I'm not moved by what I see on the news. I'm not moved by the bank balance. I'm not moved by the interest rate. I'm not moved by the Dow's closing tomorrow or the S&P next week. I am hooked into the presence of God and there's a supernatural hope that carries me and keeps me. And though I be a hundred years old, if I'm still not fulfilled the place that I'm supposed to be I'm going to keep my hope there like Abraham I will see the promise of God come to pass hallelujah I don't intend to do without what God said is mine I don't intend to let any of it go by the wayside I have what God says I have I dare call those things which be not as though they were and I know that God will perform his word Hallelujah! Let's give him praise! Hallelujah! 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 Oh, thank God. Thank God, thank God. Calling those things which be not as though they were will begin to put you into this place of believing in the supernatural hope and that hope gives you an anchor that will take you through all of the emotional highs, the ups and downs, nervousness, the attacks of panic and fear, anything the devil tries to do. I am anchored into the very presence of God. God's not a million miles away from me. God is on the inside of me. Greater is he that's in me than he that is in the world. I have a Savior. I have a promise. That's what we're going to sing about. And when the song is over, we're going to receive communion together. So why don't you stand up? You've been seated for quite a while.